This episode is brought to you by the new D9 Business Directory. Shop Greek-owned brands from a variety of categories. And if you are Greek, author, or business owner, add your profile today at d9business.com. Honoring those trailblazers who preceded us is just as important as leaving a legacy for those who will follow us. Greekly Speaking is about highlighting Greeks today who are creating positive change for tomorrow. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, welcome to Greekly Speaking. I'm Eric Tucker, and joining me for this episode is author and entrepreneur Warren Galloway of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Warren was initiated in the Lambda Gamda chapter of Phi Beta Sigma in 1985. He spent over 14 years in the banking industry at an executive level, and because of his experience in the field, Warren has made numerous appearances on various media outlets. One of his more notable ventures, the Microloan Conference, is a national annual event that focuses on microlending. Brother Warren Galloway, thank you for joining us on Greekly Speaking. How are you doing today? I'm doing phenomenal. Thank you for inviting me to be a guest. The pleasure is all ours, and we are delighted to have you spend a few minutes with us. We noticed some content that you were posting and generating out on social media and some of the initiatives that you had going on, and we just had to try to reach out to you to see if we can connect and just touch base with you and learn a little bit more about your brand, and and, and we're going to get into all of that, trust me, but as you know, on Greekly Speaking, first, we have to know who we're dealing with. I don't care what executive you are. We got to get a little bit about your Greek background, man. Did you have any Greek influences in your life coming up? So so the, the irony of it is, is that I became a member of Phi Beta Sigma without having any Greek influences in my life growing up. And I say that because I'm actually a legacy. My father plays Lambda Chapter in 1964. And my father was a civil rights leader down in Mississippi. And he left Mississippi and got involved with the Black Power Movement. So as a result, my father really didn't talk a lot about his Sigma life when he was at Virginia Union. He would always sing his school fight song. And he would talk about the civil rights movement. But he never really talked about Black Greek life for him as a student at uh, Virginia Union. But I remember seeing his yearbooks and I seeing people standing in line, but none of that meant anything to me. I remember school days. That's what I remember. (laughs) You know, I remember school days. But when I stepped on the campus of uh, Central Michigan University in the fall of 1984, I met a gentleman named uh, Jeffrey Malloy, who end up being like a mentor to me on campus. And he just so happened he was a Sigma. But I didn't know what a Sigma was, so it didn't, really didn't mean anything to me. And then he started introducing me to all his friends. And come to find out they all were Sigmas. And I was like, I'm at this PWI school, uh, 300 Blacks out of 16,000 students. And I'm meeting these sharp brothers on campus. And hey, I, I started asking him, hey, I'm looking at this upper class, I'm like, hey, you know, hey, when you guys get together, I would love to just hang out. You know, it wasn't a fraternity thing to me. It was just some intelligent, smart brothers. They were uh, in the School of Business, which is where I, I was planning on going into. They were on the basketball team. They were on the football team. They were in track. They were in the science department. They were in the education department. It was just a phenomenal group of Black men that I just wanted to be around. And and then they had these 40 young ladies around campus following them. They were Sigma sweethearts. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. My, and then my, my girlfriend, the first semester, became a sickness we had. And I'm like, okay, well, this must be a really good organization. But, you know, I watched these guys and they watched out for me and helped me out when I, whenever I needed help. So it was me that went to Jeff and say, you know, if you guys have anything, please invite me. I actually went to the step show. I, I, I saw Sigmas, but still didn't make the connection. But when I went to that smoker, as we used to call him back in the day, I left out there like, I'm pledging immediately. And at that time, you could pledge as a freshman. So I was 18 years old when I went online. I was 18 years old when I crossed. And I pledged that next semester. And that was March 30th, 1985, 36 years ago. Wow. So so you don't, as they say, tarry long when it comes to making your mind up. Once you see what you like, you go for it, huh? Exactly. And it wasn't until I was going through my probate stage that I came home. We had spring break. And I was telling my mother that I was joining this fraternity called Phi Beta Sigma. And she said, well, you know, your dad is a Sigma. What? <laughs> they were separate at the time. So I called him up and tell him I'm pledging. He was all excited. And then I say, you know what? You can look at his yearbooks because his college yearbooks were still there. And there was his line. He was he was the tail on this big line at Lambda Chapter. And then after I crossed, he sent me a picture of the following year's yearbook, which I have all of those yearbooks myself now of him as a brother. And so I pledged without any influence of my father because I pledged the right organization. Wow, man. I, hey, I've been there, man. I, I had a cousin named Zeta. I just thought it was a cool name. I didn't know. <laughs> and, and and her dad, my uncle, man, just, you know, he, he plays at the exact same university I did. I had told the brothers, hey, I don't have any, any Greeks in the family. I didn't know. But come to find out after the fact, his real name was my line name, Romeo. And and, and we, wow. we, we, you know, it was just, it was eerie, man. So I, I, I know that feeling that you and your dad, must have had sharing in that experience, man. So so how many brothers came in and, and crossed with you? We started with five and ended up with three. The other two brothers actually were transfers. And so they're a little bit older than me. I was a freshman and they were going into the junior year. And to this day, we're still tight, both professionally. All of us are doing well. It was just a blessing to not only become a member of Phi Beta Sigma, but to have line brothers that also had great aspirations and have been able to achieve them as fathers, as community leaders, and as professionals. The other thing too, and which I didn't know at that time, but I know now because our chapter had started in 79 and I placed in 85. So they were still young. We had about 20 something brothers on the yard. Since 1979, we've graduated 99% of the brothers who've come through our chapter. Wow. It's like if you play a Sigma at Central Michigan, Lambda Gamma chapter, you would graduate. And it wasn't like we were telling brothers to graduate. What it was, we would, they would watch us graduate year after year. And then you get that dream. Cause I remember going to, to, to graduation ceremonies and seeing the older brothers graduate. Like, man, that's gonna be me next. And so really how we walked and talked on campus influenced how we did in terms of excelling on campus and graduating. And, and we still have that legacy going on to this day with the brothers that are on the yard. But, you know, that speaks to that worth of example, right? When, you know, right. sometimes the, the most powerful message is the example and the image that people that you don't even know see exactly. when they're looking at you and the organization and the company that you keep. I think, I mean, just listening to you share that story about how you notice the friends that you, that, that your buddy had, 
right? And, and not knowing at the time that they were fraternity members, right? So, exactly. you know, it, it's example, everybody's watching you, you know, so that that is good. Okay, so three of you guys went over and, and what, what number were you? I was number three originally. I crossed at number one. I made sure we crossed at 10.59 p.m. March 30th, 1985. <laughs> I led us across the burning sands. <laughs> okay. I, I, I hear a story behind that, man. But, but let me start with this question. What was the name of the line? Hannibal's Five was the name of the line after the great Black warrior who defeated the Romans. And oh. we picked such a rich name because we felt that we were part of royalty. And that, you know, we were going to cross this burning sands, the, the, like, the, like Hannibal's defeated the, the Romans with his unique fighting style. And that's how we looked at things when we were online, that we're going to have this unique line that's going to make sure that we cross that burning sands. Okay, okay. And, and what was your line name? Silk. That was my, you know, back then we had those corny names. It was Silk and I used to have a pledge. He said, "Greetings, my brother Silk. The series whip. This is the single signal five base signal for turning corporate. It's to you, sir, that the blue and white would make us right, and we too can be as down as you. You know, that's all that kind of corny stuff back then." <laughs> okay, so we are. We I'm going to have to go ahead and launch a greeting contest because <laughs> I had an optometrist on not long ago. He was, you know, straight laced, and he hit me with something called chocolate thunder. Let me hear that one more time. Greetings, brother Silk, the serious will. This thing is gentlemen, five eight seven fraternity corporate. It's through you, sir, that the blue and white will make us right, and we too can be as down as you. <laughs> Boy, hey, 36 years later, I still remember. I still remember a lot of the Chapel Brothers greets. That's what's crazy. <laughs> wow, man. I, I might have to have that as part of your intro or your episode, man. This, <laughs> this is awesome, man. Okay, so what, you're at this. As you say, PWI, your Central Michigan. What kind of community service projects were you guys known for, man? Other than academics, man, which is awesome that you guys were all, you know, focused on that. Oh, we had a harvest drive. And you see, I, I remember this because I was so engaged as a young brother. Because what I didn't tell you is that, I mean, I graduated in four years. I pledged, I graduated in four years. I got into the School of Business after my sophomore year. But I had such great role models. And when we talk about time value, that to me was time management. And I managed my time well to ensure that, and I was on a full academic scholarship too, mind you. So I had to maintain good grades. But I still was able to get involved in the community activities we had. We, we did the harvest drive where we collected canned goods for the community. We had a large, at the time, a, a reservation, Indian reservation. So we would collect goods and donate to the reservation. And now it's a huge casino, but back then it was just a reservation. Um, we adopted this young man who was biracial at that time. And up in Mount Pleasant, we, you know, at the time I had 1% African-American living in the community. We adopted him and mentored him while we were on, on campus. We did scholarships. We did cancer walks. I mean, we just did a lot of activity amongst all the schoolwork that we were doing and the brotherly activities we were involved with. That is some pretty heavy service. And, and, and you got to love that, that you guys were focused and that in tune with what was going on on campus and in the community. One final question in that space. If you were to meet someone who was considering going Greek, whether it was fraternity or sorority, what advice would you give them? You know what? My son, who was president of the Detroit Sigma Beta Club for three years, they elected him three times. And I ran Sigma Beta Club. We had 50 young men in there. And I had no influence on him getting elected, but they saw the leadership qualities that were in him. He's a sophomore now at the University of Toledo. And 
you know, people say, well, is he going to play a Sigma? He's made it very clear. If he plays anything, he would definitely play a Sigma. But what I would tell him is you got to think about who has invested in you, okay? Who has been there and mentoring you, coaching you, providing scholarships, supporting you? And it's been nothing but Sigma. And so if you're going to join an organization, if you have gotten that type of support from members of a Greek letter organization, why would you look at someone else if you had such a great opportunity? I'm talking about providing job leads for you, tangible things that impact your life. Now, if you haven't had that experience, then what you do is get to know the members and see what do they bring to the table that not only will benefit you, but where you can also contribute as well to those members and those future members that are coming to your organization. Because it's a give and take. You know, most people say, well, I want to see what they're doing. Well, what, what can you do? Can you, can, can you network with those brothers? Because I tell people the fun part is when you're a collegiate brother, but the real hard work is when you graduate. And guess what? Can that brother help you get a job? Is that brother going into a career that you might be interested in? No. Is that brother going to make sound decisions when they get out in the community? Are they going to be community leaders? Now, sometimes it's kind of hard to see that at the collegiate level because some people turn their lives around. But you you know who the brothers are that are, that are going to be successful and going to impact the lives of many people. Those are the type of brothers you want to be around. If they're knuckleheads, trust me, some of them will turn around. But if they're a knucklehead now, they'll probably be a knucklehead for a very long time. Do you want to be involved with it? Are they causing ruckus on campus academically? Are they doing well? You know, I want to be around brothers that have potential, can grow from. And the older brothers, can they mentor you? Can they support you? Not a party, not a step show. We're talking about you are going to college to get an education so you can have a career. What impact will they have? So if it's me, I want to know what impact you're going to have. How can I network with you? Where's your alumni chapter? Who's in your alumni chapter that's in the career I'm going into that who can help pull me over that fence where they say he ain't heavy? Those are the things I look for. You got to ignore the parties. You got to ignore all the rhetoric and get down to what that organization can really, how it can impact your life. And I can tell you, Sigma has impacted me in incredible ways because I made the right decision. But to this day, those mentors I had when I was 18 years old, I'm 55 now. They're still my mentors to this day. So that's why I know I made the right decision. That is awesome, man. And, and that's really what it's about. Because you have to, when you look at investing in yourself, yep. the whole concept of self-improvement, you know, whether it's enrolling in, in a college or university, that's a business decision. One of the first ones yep. that you're going to make. And you have to learn how to market yourself. But you have to give people in your target audience, some content <laughs> worthy enough to be sold, right? To your point, you know, what you do to build your career is, is part of everything you do every day. Your experiences, your circle, because people, what, are watching you. There's a young Warren Galloway Jr. watching you right now, right? And so, so that's what it is. Yeah, very much so. Listen here. At the beginning of the pandemic, when everybody was struggling, all of our alumni came together and we put together a life skill workshop that went over eight weeks. And we had a brother in a different specialty that was training people and motivating people through this pandemic. We went on and launched a, an endowment at the university, the first Black Greek organization to, to set up an endowment at Central Michigan University for scholarships for incoming freshman students on campus. But these are the things that I learned from them when I was 18 years old. 
And so reinvesting back into your brothers, reinvesting back into your school and making a better future for those who follow behind you. And that's why I say they still mentor me to this day at 55 years old. And that's just such a blessing because I know the things that I saw at 18 far exceeded my expectation once I became a member of the organization. So beyond college, obviously you have that business background, spent several years in the banking space, and now you have your own company, your presidency of your own brand. Talk to us a little bit about your company and tell us about the motivation behind it. So I was one of those corporate young men coming up through the ranks. My banker career was just phenomenal. I just made the, I made the right decisions. But once again, I had a strong foundation. I had the right mentors around me, sigmas and non-sigmas. And I reached the point where I, I cracked that glass ceiling in corporate America. I actually ran an entire department for E-Trade out of uh, Virginia in the D.C. area. I decided after a very short period of time that I no longer wanted to be in corporate America. So I came back home and I started a small business where I would help with housing developments and I would help with, with small businesses. I would negotiate funding deals. I came back and I literally went back to the people that I helped out for many years when I was here in the Detroit banking community and they started hiring me. And from there, that was in 2005, I have not looked back since. I've grown now my company, which is Warren Gallo and Associates, to be in one of the top business plan writers. We're now a capital strategist. I'm known for helping getting funding for small businesses. And all of that led up to me doing a few things. One, becoming a published author. We'll talk something, a little bit about that. But also being an advocate for finding resources to put back into our low to moderate income communities to support business ownership. I've now become the face of that. When we talk about Michael Linden, I'm known as being the Michael Linden expert, which led me to start the, hosting the first ever National Microloan Conference in 2019. I put that on all by myself, except for the day of. I needed some bodies. And when we had that conference, I brought together some of the top microloan lenders, some of the top bankers plus entrepreneurs. I had 350 people at my conference for two days, had 70 workshops over two days, and 70 speakers from across the country. They had never had this type of lending conference focused on connecting entrepreneurs to those who would lend money to them to help support them starting businesses in this country. Just an incredible, incredible experience. And it all started from me being in banking and deciding to become an entrepreneur and become the face of microlending. You know, uh, it is so timely that you're sharing that, that story. You recently joined the D9 Business Directory, mm -hmm. which features business owners and entrepreneurs such as yourself. But one yeah. of the first challenges that business owners have is funding that we hear a whole lot during the pandemic about PPP loans and, and these grants and all of this. So I was happy to hear that you touched on funding in general. So, I mean, it's really good to see you in that space, providing that knowledge and that insight. I want to touch a little bit on the publications that you have. You know, I checked out your website, man, and just great content. What services specifically do you provide and, and outline in your book that can help that new business owner? So I've written 12 books since 2016. Wow. Uh, it's crazy. I've published uh, four books in the pandemic. And Six of the books are 
focus on supporting entrepreneurship, six various other subjects. But when we talk about the business books, I wrote the first resource book of microlenders in Michigan. If you need a microloan, you buy my book and bam, all the resources are in there. And in that book, I also show you how to apply for a microloan. I that's going to be an annual publication. So what I did, I pulled out the resource book and I created my second book, microloan book, which has nothing but resources in it. But I took that section where it shows you how to apply for a microloan and I wrote a new book called How to Successfully Apply for a Microloan. That's a powerful book because it shows you all the steps you need to take in order to put yourself in the best position to get a yes declination on a loan application. I do workshops on that exact same subject and I talk about those steps in detail. It's a powerful workshop and I believe I have it on my website as well. But in the book, you have it in your hands and really the steps I teach you are really questions that you ask of all the lenders that you want to speak to about getting funding to see if they're a right lender for you. Not only are that lender interviewing you, you need to be interviewing that lender because that lender might not be a good fit. And then I've, I've worked with another business partner of mine. We jointly wrote a book about basic questions and answers about entrepreneurship. I have a series of book called 10 Easy Steps to Start a, a Business, Michigan Edition. Then I have 10 Easy Steps to Start in a Business, Youth Edition. I'm in the process of finishing up 10 Easy Steps start, to Start in a Business, Veterans Edition. I'm doing, I'm doing all 50 states. I'm doing a veteran version. I'm doing one for the visually impaired. I'm doing the Spanish version. I look at it as being those dummy books. Okay, my tendency steps is going to be something like that. <laughs> Micro lending for dummies. I love that analogy, man. You know, one question I have, and 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 I want to get into the bookshelf that mm -hmm. that we have coming up too. But when is the right time to start thinking about funding as you start to formulate your business? Immediately, you need to start thinking about what is it that you could bring to the table to get your business started. Then you need to determine. How much will you really need to successfully launch your business? And if there's a gap, now you got to think about how am I going to fill that gap between what I have, which can be my savings, which can be the earnings I get from the job I'm working right now, which can be some investments, your own investments, but also investments of others who want to invest in your business. How much do you have? Once you find out that you have a gap, now you need to look at other resources. And other resources could be a micro loan. It could be a traditional bank loan. It could be what we call a community loan. A community loan is uh, an organization that lends more than 50,000, which is the max for a micro loan, but less than what a bank would lend. They kind of fill that gap of lending. Do you need to do a crowdfunding campaign? That's, that's another option for you. Are you going to use your tax return? So you need to start thinking about how much you're going to need to launch your business. But guess what? The reality of it is, and I tell business owners this all the time, you really don't know what you need for your business until you write that business plan. If you do not have a business plan, which is the roadmap to you being able to operate your business, because in your business plan are financial projections. If you do not have a business plan, you're just winging it. It's a hustle. But then no one is going to take you seriously. But once you get that business plan, now guess what? Now everyone's going to sit up and, and you got their attention. 
because you've put it in black and white, you're going to present it to them, whether it's to a lender, whether it's to an investor, or now because we're in COVID-19, they have all these grant programs. You might have to submit it to get a grant or something like that. So early on, you need to determine what you need in terms of capital to get that business started. And also not just get the business started, because I think there's this misconception that all I want to do is get my business started and I'll flip my money back into the business. It's not quite that easy because the reality of it is you're going to have these projections in your business plan and you think you're going to make a million dollars that first month. Well, guess what? At that grand open, you're going to make a lot of money. But what we have to worry about is that next following Monday when you really have to promote and market your business and get people to come to the door. And guess what? Yeah, those projections look good, but you might fall short. What are you going to do if you fall short if all you're doing is flipping your money back into your business? It's going to come a time where you, your expenses are going to be far exceeding your revenue. So I talk to business owners, not only get enough money to open your business, but let's talk about working capital, okay? Maybe it's going to take you, based on your business plan, maybe it's going to take you three to six months before your revenue exceeds your expenses. Well, guess what? You need to be able to cover your expenses. You need to pay your employees. You need to buy supplies. You need to do marketing. So when you go out and you're looking for capital to launch it, let's think about working capital and take that and put that on top of your original need. Now, what is working capital? Working capital is taking a look at your expenses for that three to six months, depending on how long you want working capital for, total that and put it on top of your loan. And guess what that information is? It's in your business plan. So you can't do anything in terms of identifying how much you need for your business until you get that business plan done. It's part of the blueprint, right? Most lenders are gonna to wanna to know that you've thought things through. They're going to want to see the evidence of that. And they want to know that the numbers make sense, right? Projections or otherwise. Where can we find uh, most of your publications? So most of the publications you get from me speaking, you should be able to go to www.warrengallowayassociates.com. In my bio, which will also link to my business website, is warrengalloway.com. So if anyone wants to see some of the workshops that I've done, I have all my videos on there. I collect everything. When I speak, I collect all my videos and I put them on my website because, you know, as people say, I try to give nuggets and I like to share those nuggets because I need the people around me, the people I support to be successful. So that information is free on my website, warrengalloway.com. But what's next for you? <laughs> what's next for me is this show, my new show, Doing Business with Warren Galloway. Uh, I'm excited about it because, you know, I've always envisioned myself eventually being on TV. But when someone approached you, which someone did, and said, listen here, I want to have a TV show for you. And that's what happened about a year and a half ago. That's what I'm excited about because it's taken me to another level and also will allow me to get more of this information about access to capital and micro lending and community lending to hopefully thousands and millions more people who need to know this information. Because here's the thing, we didn't talk about this. One of the reasons why I'm a big advocate of micro-lending and getting it into our low to moderate income communities is the ripple effect of supporting entrepreneurship. I'll give you an example. If I live in a low-income neighborhood and I decide to open up a business and I get a micro-loan, that micro-loan will help jumpstart me getting that business started. The ripple effect is now I might be the hire disenfranchised people from the community, i.e. returning citizens, youth, seniors, low-income people, they will have a place to work and earn some money to be able to now 
fix up their home or if they're renting. They, after working for a while, they could look at purchasing a home. And guess what? Those young kids that they have, they're watching this. Mama and daddy are walking to work or they're riding their bike to work because the job is in the neighborhood. So in my generation coming up in Detroit, a lot of people left and never came back. But the impact of you uh, circulating dollars back in community and employing people in communities that those young kids see this and guess what? They think like, oh, when I go to college, I'm coming back home because I want to open up a, a business right down the street from where my mother and father are working because I see that neighborhood coming back. I want to be part of the revitalization so it helps retain talent. And now you begin to see the investments back into the community and the communities come back. And they come back stronger than ever before because large corporations are not going to go into the low-income neighborhood. It will have to be entrepreneurs that we support right now that are willing to take that risk and open up a business and keep those dollars circulating in the community and creating more jobs. And what happens when you're not only hiring people in your community, but you're actually influencing people in your community to do the same thing that you're doing, right? They're going to seek that expertise and then you create that network, right? And, you know, I'm excited for all the businesses you have a chance to touch and help. But you know what? I'm, I'm the most excited for your son because he has a positive Black role model that he can look up to, man. And, and I hope that image permeates throughout the pandemic. I hope we can use imagery like that to give the pandemic a vaccination and just make a whole lot of 400 years of yesterday's go away. And, and I believe it can happen because, Absolutely. you know, we didn't always have direct access to the concepts that you're speaking on. Well, thank you. And, you know, one last comment. I, I think it's important for the viewers to know that it's not all doom and gloom during the pandemic. It's actually a chance for opportunities. And I know of African-American businesses that are thriving in the pandemic. They just create the right model that will fit in this pandemic and thrive. I got a business owner called Detroit Soul, African-American family-owned restaurant owned by two brothers. Their model was a fit for, you know, carry out and deliveries. And I'm helping them open up a second location in the midst of a pandemic because they're thriving so well. So no, you don't have to take this journey of entrepreneurship by yourself, that there are individuals like myself that are spread across the country who are passionate about what we do, but more importantly, we want to support you in being successful in turning around your community and providing economic opportunities as well as jobs for people who live near where you're going to have your business. Hey, that is a sign of an exciting future and a, a culture that can adapt is one that will mm -hmm. survive. And, and I think you speak very well in, on, on that topic, man. And once again, thank you for taking a few minutes to share with us your, your Greek <laughs> journey, Mr. Smooth <laughs> and Silk. <laughs> and, uh, Warren Galloway, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. And we appreciate you sharing your subject matter expertise in that micro lending space. And don't hesitate to let us know when you have more exciting news coming up in the future, okay? Definitely will. And thank you again for allowing me to be on your show. Our pleasure. Have a good one. You as well. Take care. <laughs>